I think the best way to say it is that we really work to kind of be that puzzle piece that fits in with whatever the needs are. And we know that the needs are different for every community, every health system, every clinician, every condition type. Um, and we try to meet those needs to have the best outcome for the patient. What's the future of virtual care and remote patient monitoring? And how do these technologies impact patients, providers, and care delivery? Let's talk all about it with Maggie Lajani and Blair McElroy of Veda Health right here in episode 461 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is about you, your personal and professional development, your career, and the healthcare system writ large. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, technology, medicine, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride. And I always thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And if you'd like to help other people find the show, consider leaving a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. And please share the show from any app where you happen to be listening. And if you'd like to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith and pledge as little as $2 a month to support the show and help us keep the lights on and the reel-to-reel tape rolling. Well, it's not really reel-to-reel, but that's okay. And I appreciate you all so much, however you'd like to support us. And I appreciate you just being here to listen. The show notes are at nursekeith.com in the drop-down menu labeled podcasts. And they're also in any app where you happen to be listening, whether it's Overcast, Castro, anywhere you are, you'll find the show notes and all the links we reference in the course of our conversation. And like I said, we're here with Maggie Lajani and Blair McElroy of Veda Health. And it's great to have you both here. I'm glad to reconnect after our initial conversation. Um, Maggie, I have a first question for you. And the first thing I want to ask is what, what do we consider virtual care these days? How does that get defined at Veda Health? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I just want to say thank you for having us on. We've been looking forward to this um, and getting getting to speak with you. So, and I think partly why that's a really good question is because um, it's still being defined for a lot of health systems. And there are a lot of different words that are kind of used interchangeably or synonymously um, across different health systems or um, care teams. And so it's actually something that whenever we meet people, um, we spent, we are very conscientious about spending some time about saying, what does that mean to you? If you've got a telehealth team or you have a virtual care program or you have um, a telenursing program, what does that look like for you? So we make sure that we're saying using the same language, that we're speaking about the same thing. So I think I would say virtual care um, is anything, any program that the patient is not directly in the same room with the caregiver, the physician, the nurse, sometimes a sitter, even someone who's not a clinician, um, and that the care that's being provided for that patient um, is done over some sort of technical uh, tool. It used to be, you know, I think a lot of us forget that care used to be provided to patients over phones. And and there's some reason to think that that could be virtual care as well. I think nowadays we think of things that include video, um, but it also doesn't have to include video. So for us at Beta Health, what we use are kind of an ecosystem of devices that are connected to our care team. So if a patient uses a device to check their vital sign, it is automatically pulled into our system and the nurses and the care team can manage that patient from a distance. And they've got all the tools at their disposal to easily identify patients who might be having um, symptoms of an acute episode or some stress and anxiety, um, something that will trigger us to reach out to them proactively and help manage whatever is going on with them. So the goal is that rather than waiting for them to have care only when they visit their physician or only when they're in the hospital, they've got access between those points to, to really be well cared for, as well as gain that education, 
um, so they can be more empowered in the way that they make healthcare decisions, choose what they eat, choose what activity that they're going to do. So it's really reaching the patient between the traditional walls of healthcare in a clinic or a hospital. But I think as a as a nurse in this space, and and I've been here for a while, as has Blair. I like to be as inclusive as possible. So when we think about what does virtual care mean, if we're working with clients or, or patients, if they tell us that the program that they're doing falls into virtual care, then then I will agree because I think we don't want to put hard lines on that. You know, whatever tools are useful to help patients have more access to care uh, are included in in that title to me. Right. Well, thanks for painting that that picture. That's really helpful. And Blair. Um, just to follow up on what Maggie just shared. Um, so virtual care can take place with patients who are in their homes, and we can talk about the different permutations of that. And it can also take place within a healthcare organization. So in your experience as a nurse working at Veda Health, kind of on this this technology side, do you find that more and more organizations are kind of getting on board with the fact that various types of virtual care are sort of like becoming the norm? Or do you feel like there are systems out there that are still resistant to these new technologies? You know, where where are people landing on the continuum of, I guess, embracing all of this? I think that's a really great question. I think before COVID, there was a lot of organizations that didn't have a virtual program in whatever shape that may have looked like. In, in EICU, if that was a telesitter, that was a uh, a virtual nurse calling the patient to do post-discharge planning. Some of these programs didn't exist before COVID, but as the pandemic happened and more patients were forced to use telehealth services and communicate with the providers, the patients became more comfortable with it and it became more of an expectation for the providers and for the health systems to have some sort of virtual care. So I think at that point, some of the organizations who are more hesitant to embrace technology are now starting to transition to that point of, okay, what programs do we have? What programs can we create? What are we already doing that works and and how can we make that better work for our population? And, you know, the American Telemedicine Association says that by 2030, more than 50% of healthcare services are going to be consumed virtually. And with that being the case, healthcare organizations are going to be forced to have to move towards that point of embracing different technologies. We have seen a variety of um, perspectives when it comes to that. There have been some healthcare organizations that maybe have telehealth nurses that are doing more traditional like home health type care where they are calling the patients, making sure they have their medications, and then a nurse may go out to the home and do wound care. There are some programs that they have virtual nurses kind of in a hub in the hospital who are checking in with the patients to help teach them about medications, to help with discharge planning, to help with care management while they're inpatient. And then, of course, we have more of that remote patient monitoring and chronic care management that's done um, in a virtual setting with nurses in a different location than where the patients are. Traditionally, there's also been in a lot of rural areas, a telehealth setup so that patients were able to access specialists. So the patients would have to come to the doctor's office and then in the doctor's office, they could have a remote visit with a doctor in another city who could provide specialist care. Well, now those patients are able to do that from their home. And so there's more telehealth opportunities with specialists who are creating programs just to help patients in areas where they don't have that specialty locally. So I feel like there's a a wide variety of virtual care offerings that are being embraced by healthcare systems. But overall, I think people are moving closer to figuring out what's the best opportunities for their organization and how they can best serve their patients. Hmm. That's interesting. So there's some demand from patients and you're saying some of that was born from the pandemic because we started doing more virtual care telehealth, which is what many people have called it because people didn't want to leave their home and it was safer. And a lot of places have adopted that kind of as almost like their, their default. And people come in for visits when they feel they really feel they need to. So that's that there's a groundswell of support for it, probably from the provider facility side on a certain level. And then there's a groundswell of support from a certain cohort of patients who are like, yeah, that's really awesome. And Maggie, 
There's also this whole notion of remote patient monitoring. And is that is that what you were referring to when you were saying like if a patient uses a device and it uploads into the system, is that part of remote patient monitoring or is it more robust than that? Are there more aspects to that than my little simple explanation there? No, that you're absolutely right on target. So, um, and I think both are true. So it can be as simple as devices that um, automatically transmit the vital sign data into a, what we call a SaaS platform. Um, and that's kind of where all that data is housed and a care team can manage it. So it can be as simple as that and meet the minimum requirements. Um, and the pay, for a remote patient monitoring program, the patient is located within their home. So kind of like Blair was speaking to, we have telehealth that's in the acute care setting, and then we have telehealth that's in the clinic setting. And we now have virtual care that's in the patient's home. Um, we were just looking at some data earlier this week, and um, McKinsey actually is reporting that they're expecting 25% of care to be delivered within the home by 2025. Um, and so that is quite an opportunity for us to do a better job of bringing care to those patients, real good quality care. And so while devices is kind of the minimum requirement, there's opportunity to do so much more with that. Um, and to really make that, I keep going back to high quality, you know, and I, it's kind of similar to whenever we moved to electronic health records in the hospital, um, we had all these promises that it was going to make us more efficient. We would have more access to patient data. We'd be able to provide better care for patients. A lot of us who were nurses in that time or physicians in that time experienced a higher administrative burden. And so we spent less of our time in the hospital at the patient's bedside actually providing care. And so I think a lot of us uh, really remember that and want to keep that in mind. At least I can say Blair and I do in our engineering team and our leadership. And how do we prevent that from happening again whenever we implement a new program, put in technology, that technology really should work to make us provide better quality care. And a big piece of that is letting the nurses be nurses and spend less time in the technology. And the technology really should facilitate that. It should make us smarter, should make us um, identify issues with patients sooner so we can intervene sooner, so we can change the outcomes for those patients. Um, and I think that's where remote patient monitoring kind of gets taken up a level and really becomes a powerful tool um, for both our nursing hearts and for those patients. Um, and so that's kind of where remote patient monitoring fits, I would say. I would, I see. And Blair, I want to ask you a follow-up question. I had a colleague who he worked on a team that was a remote nurse team. And I believe they were monitoring patients on telemetry in multiple facilities. And they would sort of monitor the, you know, all the readouts. They each had a certain number of patients they were watching. And then if something came up, they would contact the nurses at that organization to say, hey, patient in whatever, whatever room is having an issue, you know, there's some, you know, there's some something happening with the, with the EKG or something, you need to go look at the heart rhythm. So is that sort of thing also more and more common where you have clinicians at a remote location monitoring multiple patients at one time, even maybe for multiple facilities? Is that, is that a thing these days? So that's definitely something that's, that still happens and that's part of remote care. And I think that there's a, a lot of different situations where that would apply. It, sometimes in more of like an EICU like type setting or a telemetry, like a remote telemetry setting, you would have various monitors, various patients, maybe different facilities that you're monitoring. Um, at Veda Health, with our patients in a more remote patient monitoring setting, we generally have patients that are assigned to us that are at home. They're not generally inpatient. Um, and so that's a little bit a little bit different, but there are definitely nurses and roles who are able to provide care for patients at different facilities. And that virtual nursing 
The only difference there is whereas that nurse who sees that EKG that says, you know, the patient's an AFib calls the nurse at the bedside to do something about it. In our case, we would be the ones that would be calling the patient and doing something about it. So I think that there's two different scenarios there where you're kind of passing the message along, you're identifying it, watching multiple patients versus you are proactively and taking a hands-on approach to dealing with individual patients that you're monitoring and then you're able to take action on. I see. And Maggie, are organizations, so when you're following patients at home, are organizations hiring Veda Health? to kind of put the devices in place and then provide the remote monitoring and then you're reporting it back to the providers who are kind of paying for the service? Is that kind of how it works? You're like a third party? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we kind of help, um, our nursing word for it is augment, right? Augment Mm -hmm. those local care teams. Mm -hmm. Um, So we not only have the devices and the platform, Um, we also, the platform is customized for that health system and that care pathway. So for instance, if it was a heart failure patient and the cardiologist that we were working closely with to stand up this program, that would be, um, admitting patients into the program. We, when we start, we work really closely with, um, all of the education that will go out to the patient, the care and symptom surveys that will go out to the patient. Those are all customized. We kind of have a a starting point, but those are customized. So it aligns directly with what they're learning in the hospital, what they're learning from those nurses, what they're learning from that doctor. So they're hearing that same message over and over and over again. And then that way, you know, um, a lot of physicians talk about every, I've seen this patient three times and every time I have the same conversation with them. And we know as adults, it usually takes the repetition of learning for it to really stick. And so rather than wait for those first three appointments for that patient to get that repetition, they now get it through through VEDA, through the platform. And it's the same message that they get from their physician, from their nurses. And so it helps them make those healthy choices and empower them and helps them learn about their condition faster. So you've got this kind of... Um, quicker pathway to improved health and outcomes. And then along those same lines, the physicians and the nurses in the clinic, they get some time back because their their patients come in educated. They come in knowing about what they're doing. They're taking their medications. They know what side effects to look for. Um, And all of that is kind of being managed quicker. And I want to say better. So that way they can have more quality conversations with their patients when they come in. Um, now we, we think we do something a little bit different than some other companies that, that we really love Blair and I, as nurses, the platform can be managed by a care, by a local care team, by the nurses in that health system, um, which can be a really great way post pandemic to give an opportunity for nurses who are thinking about leaving the bedside to have an opportunity to still provide care and become a virtual nurse. So that is an opportunity for health systems to really hold on to their clinical team. And I think a lot of hospitals are looking for those avenues. Uh, we also have hospitals that are like, we don't have enough nurses in our town as it is. We can't lose any of our current bedside nurses to go do this. So we need your help. And so we also have a care team that integrates seamlessly into the culture, gets to know them and kind of augments their care team. We can be all, we can be part. Um, and we, and we kind of help manage that with them. Um, so I, I can't even remember where we started with this question, but I think that sort of That's fine. answers it. Yeah. I, I think the best way to say it is that we really work to kind of be that puzzle piece that fits in with whatever the needs are. And we know that the needs are different for every community, every health system, every clinician, every um, condition type. Um, And we try to meet those needs to have the best outcome for the patients, as well as that health system from a financial perspective for it to make sense. Because if it makes sense from a financial perspective, then they'll keep it, keep it going. And then we'll have those great clinical outcomes as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. And the point you made about facilities who want to hang on to nurses who are thinking of leaving the bedside, but they don't want to lose them and they can give them different opportunities to still be involved in patient care rather than those nurses like dropping 
off the face of the earth and going somewhere else. So I think that's a really interesting way to look at, okay, how do we deal with attrition? How do we deal with burnout? How do we deal with people who maybe are one, maybe have disabilities and, you know, maybe nurses with back injuries or a nurse with who develops, um, I don't know, Parkinson's or whatever, like has a condition where, you know, being at the bedside just isn't really working for them anymore. Or maybe they just have spinal issues and they just can't be running up and down the hallways all the time, but they don't want to leave. They really don't want to stop being a nurse. Um, I think this is a really good option for nurses to have another way of working. And I think it's great. And it could could keep some people in the fold who would otherwise be leaving. And I think that's that's really important. And if virtual care is growing, then there's going to be more opportunities for nurses to embrace these types of opportunities and facilities to provide those opportunities. So that's I think that's really cool. And Blair, before we take a break, I had one more question for you. Um, we're talking about patients at home who have devices, you know, they're they're maybe fairly complicated, you know, could be congestive heart failure, could be, you know, any number of things that they have going on. Is this what we're now referring to as hospital at home or is hospital at home something else? So the hospital at home program was set up to be a little bit different. It was mm-hmm. created to be hospital care outside the walls of the hospital. And the idea initially with the pandemic and a little bit before then was to have patients who maybe would be a med search level patient, you would say, at home for many reasons. Maybe they're an oncology patient and you're trying to prevent infection. Maybe they're a patient who needs the support of their family to help them with their care, or they require you know, more extensive hands-on care than some of the other patients do, and they have the resources at home to be able to do that. So for those patients, it was better to have keep them at home to have someone to come out and do IV antibiotics one time a day, to do a dressing change one time a day, to make sure that they had the medications that they needed and to be able to still have more close monitoring. So in those type hospital at home, enhanced home type programs, those patients are getting more close monitoring. So maybe they're doing vital signs every four hours around the clock. They have a nurse or maybe a paramedic who's coming out to the home twice a day to do those medications or to help them with certain things. They have um, someone at home who's there to help them, you know, with with ambulating to the bathroom or with turns and and that kind of care. And so this is able to provide the same med surge level kind of care for them in their home setting. And a lot of times they end up needing less care and recovering faster. Whereas if they were in the hospital, they would be there for five or six days and then get discharged, maybe come back. We can do this at home for three or four days. They get better. They already have their family support. They have the home health nurses ready to come in. They have all the supports they need at home. So that is one way of doing that, like home monitoring with devices. And it's a little bit more for patients who have more acute illnesses who mm-hmm. maybe are having a COPD exacerbation or they're having a you know CHF exacerbation and they need more close monitoring. With the remote patient monitoring that Maggie was referring to, these patients have devices at home. And while they have chronic diseases, they're not necessarily in that acute phase of illness. So they're more in that chronic management. Not to say that they don't need monitoring and they don't need, you know, changes on a daily basis or or things to kind of help them improve in their care. But instead of taking vital signs every four hours, maybe it's once a day. Mm-hmm. And instead of having a nurse come out to their home to do IV antibiotics, they're able to take antibiotics by mouth at home and to follow up with the nurse remotely to make sure that they're making those changes needed to improve. So it's it's two different levels of care. I would say one's a little bit more acute with the hospital at home and one's more chronic. Also, the hospital at home patients have a little bit different requirements for insurance or for things like that in order to be in those programs. Whereas for their remote patient monitoring, they don't have the same requirements to be in those programs. They generally just need to be a chronic disease patient who requires ongoing management. I see. So you said the magic word insurance and I was thinking, huh, I wonder where Medicare is on being accepting of all of this stuff, but I'm sure they're coming around because you mentioned cost savings. So I'm sure that makes them sit up and listen when you're talking about 
the cost of care. So when we come back from the break, I'd love to talk a little bit about your history, each of you, and, you know, as nurses, and some other questions I have about nurses getting into these types of roles and the type of education you're providing to nurses through Beta Health, and some other questions I have before we wrap up. So hang in there with us, and we'll be right back with the second half of episode 461 with Maggie Lajani and Blair McElroy of Veda Health. Welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with friends of the pod and my new friends and colleagues, Maggie Lajani and Blair McElroy of Veda Health. And Maggie and Blair, you both work for Veda Health. You're both nurses. And Blair, you joined Veda Health, and it's V-E-T-A, by the way, Veda Health, um, and it's myvedahealth.com. So you joined them back in 2020 during the pandemic. And you've been in healthcare for a while. So were you working as a clinical nurse? Were you like acute care? Was that your background? And what was the what was the the impetus for coming into this other world, this like more technologically oriented world? Yeah. Well, I would say, yeah, I've definitely been on healthcare for a while and in various avenues and kind of my different experiences, I often saw a trend of patients leaving the clinical setting and not receiving the education they needed to not come back again, or they left the hospital and they had the same kind of problems and they were back again. And so before I came to beta, I was working as a cardiovascular ICU nurse. So I did a lot of um, recovery for patients after a cardiothoracic surgery with balloon pumps, ECMO, all of those type things, intensive care setting. And though those patients generally were not discharged home from our unit, a lot of times they would go to a step-down unit and then they would be on certain medications. And I would often ask, well, if we're prescribing this medication and we're giving them a coupon for 30 days, what happens when the coupon expires? How are they going to keep taking this so that they don't occlude their stints or that they don't come back and have, you know, hypertensive crisis again? And many times, a couple months later, we would see them again and they'd be back in the ICU, back on drips again, going back into the operating room to open stints back up to have more procedures because the medication they had ran out and they couldn't afford it. So many times on the unit, um, we didn't always have a care manager who was present because she had so many patients in the hospital that she was responsible for checking in on. So sometimes I would try to help her out on our unit and I would go and make sure the patients had medications for discharge they had any questions. And I saw how frequently the patients would go home on medications and not realize they were already taking the same medication at home. You know, for example, I had a patient and I was explaining to them, like, we're taking this for your blood pressure. And she's like, oh, I have this other medication for my blood pressure. It has the same name, but a different dosage on it. No one had explained to that patient that they were supposed to stop taking the previous dose and start taking the new dose. So she was just taking both. So really, she was in the hospital and we were like, oh, why does she have this low blood pressure? Well, because she had a whole lot of blood pressure medicine in her system. So just those little things really had big effects because she was a 30-day readmission. Insurance wasn't paying for that visit again. The hospital was eating that cost. That was another bed that was being used. The patient wasn't getting good care because she was in the hospital and not at home with her family getting back to her normal routine. So kind of seeing all of these things happening really kind of helped me realize the importance of filling those gaps outside of the hospital walls and making sure that patients had the education they needed and there was some sort of follow through. And so that naturally kind of led me to beta health and more of a, a care manager and eventually a clinical manager role in helping patients develop their treatment plans and understand what that meant. So that when they leave the doctor's office, they can come home and call me and say, hey, Blair, I got on my scale today. I went to the doctor. The doctor said I need to change my medication. What does that mean? And then I can explain that to them. And then as they use their scale every day and monitoring their weight, I can see, are they taking that medication? Is it helping them? I can call and do a symptom assessment and make sure that when they go back to the doctor in a month, that they're getting the care that they need. So that's kind of what brought me from the inpatient setting to more of this virtual care setting, doing something very similar, kind of really trying to adjust those patients' needs to make sure that they are getting that full wraparound care. I see. Wow, interesting. So you went from that like, trying to solve the the big 
macro problem within the hospital to being able to look at the patient's care and what they're doing on a much more micro level and help them make those little adjustments and kind of keep tabs on them more so that they can stay out of the hospital, which is what our goal is. And and Maggie, you joined VEDA back in January of 2023, and you've done all sorts of things. You, um, you've worked in hospital nursing operations. Um, you've worked in telehealth strategy and implementation. Um, you've led very large nursing teams. So did you start out in a highly clinical setting and move into other settings? Like what was your trajectory? Yeah. So I spent about the first 10 years of my nursing career in the hospital um, at the bedside. So primarily in neonatal ICU. So Blair and I both come from an intensive care unit type of background, but don't overlap at all, which is, we always joke about, it's a lot of fun to be able to learn from each other in that way. I've worked in really small rural hospitals, as well as very large tertiary care centers that took um, high-risk maternal and NICU transfers. Um, And I just always loved working at the bedside, but didn't see it as something I would be able to do long-term with my family and, and, you know, there, I think it's a special breed of nurses who can stay at the bedside through their whole career. And I just didn't think that I was, that's what I was looking for. So I went back to school and got my master's in business um, while I worked night shift in the NICU and uh, was able, was given the opportunity to be able to move into management. And that's whenever I managed um, over a hundred nurses for our NICU and in a really growing NICU and, and learned so much about being a leader. Um, and I'm still good friends with several of those nurses today. But from there, I moved into what would traditionally be called a sales role for the health system I was working for. Um, but I was the first nurse that was in it. So I like to call it a relationship management role because sales kind of a dirty word for a lot of us nurses. Um, but essentially went around rural parts of Texas, um, met nurses and physicians and got to know what their needs were um, to take care of patients that got sick. So moms and babies who got sick. A lot of that was was centered around education and how do we get them more comfortable managing these high-risk patients until help can arrive. And in Texas, as anywhere across the country, there are times where there are storms um, that we just can't get to them as fast as they need help. And they really do need to know how to manage these patients, even if they're not going to keep them Um, we also, from that work that we did, began to see opportunities where patients were transferred that only needed our care for a day or two and then went back home. And they had traveled 100, 200 miles from their home community, which becomes a very big burden, very stressful for them um, from an anxiety perspective, from a financial perspective. We knew we could avoid some of those transfers. Um, by providing that care locally through telehealth. So we began, um, that's whenever I got into telehealth and working with our system to stand up telematernal fetal medicine programs um, in the rural communities. And we had some great outcomes in being able to help those local, smaller rural communities um, keep more patients, increase their deliveries, decrease their transfers out. And again, I just learned so much through that and and felt like it was really meaningful work. Um, so when I had the opportunity to um, join the VEDA team earlier this year, it was a brand new kind of telehealth because this is care within the home. What we were doing before was care into a physician clinic in that community. Um, and I have just learned a ton about kind of where that lies and how that impacts um, the way that patients think about their care and their health. And Blair mentioned earlier that remote patient monitoring is often focused on chronic care. Um, And I think that's one of the trends that we're starting to see uh, change and grow in the way that we think about things. Traditionally, it is mostly been chronic care, but we have more and more clients that want to do like 
high-risk maternal programs and support moms who have high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. Um, And that isn't a long-term that has, you know, it's usually a finite amount of time, but we can make significant difference on maternal um, health and morbidity and mortality. We have some clients that are looking at oncology programs and survivorship programs. And there's just, when when you have the adoption and the acceptance by the physicians and, and the patients, there's so much more that you can do to reach these patients between the walls of traditional healthcare setting. And I think we're all just really excited about that um, and what that looks like for patients. Yeah, the future is kind of unwritten in many ways, right? So we're still seeing just like with the advent of AI and where that's all headed. And Blair, if if nurses want to get involved in these sorts of roles, you know, where where do they start? Where do they look? Are these jobs now popping up more and more on Indeed and on job boards? Or, you know, if you want to move into this sort of type of role and get involved, you know, where do you start? Because somebody might be listening right now who's like, yeah, I'd really like to do something like this because I don't feel like I can do the bedside anymore. Yeah, I think the first place to start is being aware of the skills that you have. Mm-hmm. And kind of going from there. So kind of doing like a self-evaluation and saying, which things am I really good at? Or what are my strengths? Or even asking your colleagues for feedback to understand what your skill set is and what you want to do. Because if you work in a specialized area now, like, you know, if you're in a cardiovascular ICU, that can very easily transition to a heart failure program that's done remotely. Or, you know, maybe you're doing, like Maggie said, you're in women's health and you transition to doing a postpartum program or a specialist program for uh, women who have high blood pressure. So you can transition those specialized areas to remote roles. And I think just being super aware of that there will be some challenges when you go into these roles at working at home or maybe not having your colleagues who are there with you to ask a question will be different. And so I think the first thing that nurses have to do is make sure they prepare themselves for what skill set do I have? What do I want to do? And am I prepared to do this? And then to go forward and look for what opportunities are out there. So yes, you're going to find a lot of remote roles on job boards. A lot of hospitals are having care management roles being done remotely now. Since the pandemic, there are lots of telehealth type roles that are being done remotely. You know, virtual nursing where you are talking to the patients at the bedside, but you're doing it from a remote location. Those roles are both on hospital job boards, on Indeed, LinkedIn, Career Builder, all those websites you can go to and find these remote roles. But because there are so many of them, I think it's so important to make sure that you pick one that's the right fit for you, that fits your skill set and your passions. Hmm. Good advice. That's really good advice. Thank you. So there's people out there who might really be interested in pursuing this because they just feel like they need that change. So thanks. And Maggie, um, as we wind down, I wanted to ask you about Veda Health and the type of education you all are providing for nurses these days and training. Do you want to just speak to that for a minute or two? Yeah, we would love to. Mm -hmm. Um, So as Claire mentioned, there's a lot more telehealth opportunities or virtual care opportunities. Um, And you both have mentioned, indeed, we were looking at some statistics the other day that um, Indeed posted they've had a 392% increase, I believe, in virtual care job nursing job posting. So The roles are there. And I think as Blair mentioned, um, we were talking about the other day, she opened up a role for her team and within, was it 24 or 48 hours, you had over 120 applicants. So if you think about what can I do to get myself noticed, to get myself prepared, if I've never had experience in this before, um, I think this education course is a great opportunity to look at. It's not initially why we built it, but I think we both see the um, the reason why it will be useful for a lot of nurses. So originally we created it because, um, as I mentioned earlier, some of our programs, the clinical team comes from the client health system um, and it's their local nurses doing it. Some of them are our nursing teams. We have a lot of data and analytics in the background that we're always looking for opportunities for improvement. And one that we saw earlier this year that was a big disparity were When our teams were supporting the programs, the patient engagement was very high 
greater than 80% for an extended amount of time over 12 months. That's kind of unheard of. But whenever a client's care team was um, supporting the program, we would see closer to 50%, which is normal. It's average. It's good. But how do we help them be exceptional? Because really the patient engagement is a part that drives the positive outcomes. Um, And so rather than say, hey, you should use us because we're better, we really did a deep dive in that self-assessment that Blair talked about to have the awareness of why. Because we hire the same kind of nurses that these health systems are hiring. Um, We did a whole kind of brainstorm with our um, leadership team and our engineering team, like anyone who would come with us and kind of think through this. And what those of us that are nurses remember or recall or all shared experiences having is having executive leadership teams feel like a nurse is a nurse is a nurse. Why can't you take that nurse in med surge and go put her working in their NICU? Why can't you take that ER nurse and have her go work in ICU? Shouldn't that be okay? Um, we all know that the every area is specialized. We all have interest in those areas, but we're also specially trained in those areas. And that's what we do for our virtual nurses that join our team. Blair spends a lot of time training them. She does hands-on stuff. She does um, role-playing and practicing and gives them really a safe space to learn a new skill set, to transition their in-person skills to a virtual setting, which really is very different. And I think what we have heard a lot, we did um, some panel interviews with health systems Um, to kind of validate what we thought was going on. And what we heard over and over again is that in the pandemic, it was an emergency. They took nurses from anywhere that they could and put them working virtually. And it was necessary. However, they didn't train them. And now they're thinking about how do we go back and train these nurses well? Because we didn't do that. Several of the systems we talked to were looking for programs, and there's just not really anything out there. There are programs that tell you what virtual nursing is, what a telehealth program is, what does reimbursement look like for these? Let us teach you how to do it, but doesn't teach the nurse how to be successful and and provide care virtually. Um, And so that's what we wanted to do. We want to make our clients successful. We want to help them have teams that the nurses love to do this work because they know they're providing really great care and that's just driving those positive outcomes. So that's why we built it. As we did that and we were planning it, and I say we, Blair did really a lot of the planning and I I just supported her. Uh, But as she was building and designing it, we thought, let's not just make this for our clients. Let's make this for any nurse who is doing any sort of telehealth. And we talked about that can mean anything. Um, It's inclusive of telehealth into the hospital, telenursing, EICUs, telehealth into clinics, telehealth into the home. Um, And so it's really built and designed to teach nurses how to transition to these roles. Um, So we have made it very accessible. It's not very expensive because we want nurses to be able to have access to do. It was built for health systems to purchase, you know, for big teams But we also want it individually for nurses to be able to purchase and say, I want to get into a telehealth role. Let me let me do my own work to kind of fill the gaps that I have and then stand out whenever Blair or whichever company I'm applying for gets 100 applications. That will quickly go to the top of our list. And I'm sure any company's list to see this person may not have experience, but they've taken the initiative to get the education for themselves. That sounds great. I think education's key. And I could foresee down the road, like there being some sort of virtual nurse certifications coming along or board certifications where this is all kind of codified. And there are, you know, basic um, parts of the nursing process that we can apply to virtual nursing and put put it all together in a way that makes it sort of comprehensive and universal for people who want to learn those skills. So I think you all are doing a good service to kind of set us up for that that future, what's coming down the road. And so if people are interested, they can go to myvetahealth.com. It's M-Y-V-E-T-A, myvetahealth.com. And you all are on Facebook, Instagram, X, formerly known as Twitter. And you are both on LinkedIn. And we'll have links to those in the show notes. And 
Before we end, I always have four quick questions I ask all my my guests. And because there's two of you, we'll have to make the answers fairly succinct because in the interest of time. And each of you will have a chance to cheat and hear the other's answers to two of the four questions so that you can prepare while the other person is answering. So that kind of gives you a little heads up. And um, Maggie, we'll start with you. And the first question is, how do you define success, either personally or professionally? I would say anytime that I'm uncomfortable, then I know that I'm probably growing and that counts as success for me. Hmm. Growing. That's great. I like that. And Blair, how about you? How do you define success? I would say success is for me is when my purpose and my passions kind of meet and I feel like what I'm doing is really aligning with the person that I am. Hmm. That's really nice. I like that. Okay. And Blair, the next question is, could you name or describe someone who's inspired you in the course of your life? They could be living or dead. They could be a very famous person or someone who none of us would ever have had the chance to know, but who's important to you. That's a really great question. I had a pediatrician as a child who I would say was really inspiring to me because everyone in my family, there's a lot of people in my family who are in healthcare. And that pediatrician was the only person who said, if you want to be a nurse, then be a nurse. You don't have to be a doctor. You can be whatever makes you happy. And that gave me the confidence to make the choice for the career path that has been the most fulfilling and rewarding for me. Wow. You're a pediatrician. That's pretty cool. Wow. That's a very unusual answer. I like that. And um, Maggie, how about you? Who's who's one of those people for you? I think for me, it would be my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked to about her many times with Blair, but she was a single mother. She's strong. She never went to college, but she's so smart. She's built her own website. I mean, she inspires me all the time to do things that maybe the world says you shouldn't be able to do, but you can go do anyway if you really if you really try and you've got the right support system. So she would be my person. That's lovely. That's nice. Many people mention moms and grandmoms of grandmothers, um, especially. Okay. So Maggie, um, I'm going to give you the third question first. Is there a book or a movie, not necessarily an absolute favorite, but just one that holds meaning for you and has impacted like the way you live, the way you approach your, your, your life, your relationships, just something that's kind of important to you? Yes, I would use, I would say, I have so many I want to say. Okay. Mm -hmm. I will say the undoing project by Michael Lewis. I believe it's by Michael Lewis, Mm -hmm. um, which I have suggested to many people, but it's really about rethinking the way that we make decisions and our biases around the decisions that we make. And I think whenever you begin to learn those and recognize those in your own decision-making, it really gives empowers you to pause and rethink how you make decisions and think about things. And, and that's really, um, that's really meaningful to me. Hmm. The Undoing Project by Michael Lewis. It's on Amazon. I actually just found it. So thanks. And how about you, Blair? So my answer is completely different. Okay. I think the book that I would pick would be something that was important to me, like growing up as well, is I loved Anna Green Gables because she was a super spunky and unusual girl who didn't quite fit in with everyone else, but she still, you know, paved her own path. And for me, I think being younger, that was validation that, you know what, I can create my own path too. And as an adult, I think I still feel the same way that your path in life doesn't have to be the most traditional. It can be whatever works for you. Oh, that's interesting. Have you ever been to Prince Edward Island off the coast of Nova Scotia? (gasps) No, but I want to so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I on went, my bucket list place. I to went to, to Anna Green Gables house on Prince Edward Island. So I, I definitely recommend it. It's a really beautiful place to visit. Yeah, it's really interesting. So that's awesome. That's really cool. Okay, Blair, last question. If you were named queen of the world tomorrow, what's one of the first things you'd want to do to improve the lives of your subjects, bearing in mind that you would have ultimate power as queen of the world and could eventually do everything. So what would like, if you could wave your magic scepter your first day, what would you do? The first day I would give everyone 
all of my subjects would have care management services because care management would make sure that they had food, that they had housing, they had transportation, and they had healthcare. So I would be able to achieve those four core things and help them improve their lives from the first day. Nice. Okay. How about you, Maggie? You're like, wow, that's a tough act to follow. I know. That's exactly what my face was saying. Um, I don't know if I have a specific answer, but what came to mind first is inclusion. Um, Mm. And I think it would be some sort of strategy around helping our subjects have empathy and um, really understand where people are coming from to be more inclusive. I think that's at the core of how we make a lot of things better. Um, So I don't know what that strategy would look like, but I would Mm -hmm. come up with something around that. Well, and you'd be queen of the world, so you could hire all the people you needed to to make it happen. <laughs> and you two could be great co-queens of the world. How's that? Mm, yeah, that's absolutely. Be, be a really good start. Well, thank you so much to both of you. Thanks for talking about virtual care and this whole world that's kind of opening up before our eyes and telling us a little bit about Veda Health and what's happening over there and, you know, being nurses on the cutting edge and, you know, helping other nurses learn about what the opportunities are and helping patients have better outcomes. So thanks for being here. Thanks for reaching out in the first place and for, you know, gracing the airwaves with all of this great information. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. We really enjoyed being here. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember, the show notes will be at nursekeith.com or on any app where you're listening. I recommend that you visit myvetahealth.com, M-Y-V-E-T-A health.com. Check out their Facebook, Instagram, X, and LinkedIn links that I have in the show notes. And please reach out to Maggie and Blair directly and let them know you heard them here on the show. If you need personalized holistic career coaching, check out Nurse Keith Coaching and NurseKeith.com. Mention the show when you reach out and get 10% off your first coaching package. We are proud members of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. And we are adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by Helen Keller. The best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. They must be felt with the heart. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. Maggie Lajani bidding you adieu from Austin, Texas. And Blair McElroy saying goodbye from South Florida. All right. Thank you both. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll catch you all on the proverbial flip side. 